Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, as the Jedi continue to debate how to stand against the Yuuzhan Vong, one of their own goes undercover, while another is tasked with arming a New Republic superweapon. Can either turn the tide of the war? We'll find out in Agents of Chaos 2, Jedi Eclipse, by James Luceno. Book number five in the New Jedi Order series. But first, allow me to introduce a new co-host on this journey, another first-time reader of the NJO. It's K2. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aaron. Hello, everyone. Um, Aaron, thank you, first of all, so much for inviting me to join this crew. As you guys cover the New Jedi Order series, I was very honored to be selected um, as one of our, our peeps, so thank you so much. I want to give a special shout-out to Kat, who filled in for me last week um, at the 11th hour, so I really appreciate that. I owe you one, sis. Well, thanks for joining me. It's great to have you on the show. But before we get started, why don't you give the listeners your Star Wars story? All right. So like most people listening, I imagine I grew up on Star Wars. Um, I'm a little older probably than most listeners, I'm guessing. I don't know. Definitely the most of this of this kind of co-host crew. Um, So I grew up on the original uh, movies and my older brother and I would come home every day from school and watch A New Hope every day for like a year. I think my mother even has it memorized at this point, poor thing. Um, and I have a pretty busy work schedule. I'm a mother. Um, I, I'm an, you know, I'm active, I travel and I'm outside a lot. So I, I wasn't really caught up, um, with Clone Wars and any of these books until the pandemic hit. And then it gave me a great opportunity to dive into these things I had wanted to for really so long. I binged Clone Wars like a complete animal. Absolutely loved it. Got my brother to watch it. Um, had, it was just an absolute blast. I think that, that, that whole story just makes the, you know, one, two, and three, um, such better movies because the context that it gives it, um, is just fantastic. And then I read, um, Air of the Empire. Um, and then of course Mandalorian came out and, you know, then Obi-Wan and Bad Batch. And, you know, now we've gotten all of this content that I've consumed all of it. Um, and now you, and um, now you've asked me to be, you know, participate in this series. So now I'm reading this and I'm really excited to kind of read all of this with all of you and go through this journey for the first time together. Cause I know a lot of us are reading this for the first time. Well, that leads me to my next question. You, you said you did read the heir to the empire, the first book. What other experiences do you have with star Wars legends? Uh, I mean, so the heir to the empire, how many books was that? Three? There's three. There's Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. So that, and now this, the new Jedi Order series. So not not a lot. Not a lot of the books. But I really liked um, Timothy Zahn's work. I thought that was really good. And I know that's some of the best works. That's where I started. Started at the top, right? And now I'm really interested in reading uh, this author's, um, play, is it Plagueis and... Yeah, Plagueis, uh, James Luceno did the Darth Plagueis story, which with very little changes, you would have to do a tiny bit, but with very few changes, that story could be brought into canon. It fits very nicely before 
the events of episode one, The Phantom Menace. Yes, yeah, so I'm looking forward to reading that. I've heard a lot about that. So that's next, probably after I get through this series. Well, that's great. And I'm excited to get into today's book. But before we do that, let's take some listener questions. We have three questions today. The first comes from listener Jacob. Jacob says, Greetings, Legends Lounge. I wanted to take a moment to express my appreciation for the podcast. I find it to be both informative and entertaining at the same time. I especially enjoyed your recent episode of the book Clone Wars Gambit. Karen Miller understands the relationship between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. She also showcases an epic battle sequence that is well executed, offering a stark contrast to the espionage-focused story that dominates the rest of the book. I have a what-if question for you. What if Leia had accompanied Luke to Dagobah? How would the events play out in this alternative timeline? Well, thank you very much for the email, Jacob, and thank you very f- for the very kind words about the podcast. I have to say the Clone Wars Gambit books were a pleasant surprise for me. I didn't really expect much going into them, but I ended up really enjoying them. As for your question, what do you think, K2? What do you think would have happened if Leia had accompanied Luke to Dagobah and trained with Yoda? I really love this question, Jacob. Um, One of my favorite what-ifs, I will add, is what if Leia had ended up on the moisture farm with Uncle Owen and Luke had become some bratty prince of Alderaan. But this question is fantastic. Um, And we can only assume she would have come to understand her role in the greater universe within the Force and most specifically as a Skywalker far sooner and maybe far greater than she ever did um, till her death um, because of the timing of it and that opportunity to have that kind of, it's not one-on-one time, but alone time with, with Luke and Yoda to consume it. And how interesting would it have been for her perspective to be brought to Luke's journey? Um, the questions she would have asked, them both pressing Yoda for things that maybe Luke couldn't get out of him, but they together could have gotten out of him. Uh, maybe a little greater understanding of who Anakin was um, that we don't see maybe happened, but we don't really see that and understand it. So I think... Her journey would have been really interesting, and then her ability to um, really, uh, her contribution, I should say, would be very different, right? She's an incredible contributor as a general, and as she goes through her her life, she's obviously, she's Leia. Um, but how, as a, as a Force user trained by Yoda himself, would that have made it better? You know, even just as simple as in Return of the Jedi, right? Would she have been up there... Um, confronting Palpatine and Vader with Luke, or would she just have, you know, been able to use the Force during the Battle of Endor, and just how much more interesting I think that would have been, for me anyway. So I love your question, Jacob. So um, really fun one. Thank you. Jacob, my thoughts are most likely if Leia had become a Jedi, she would not have married Han or had a son. Perhaps she would have tried to help Luke reestablish the Jedi Order. Without her son, Ben, I assume Palpatine slash Snoke would have tried to manipulate another one of Luke's Jedi students, but maybe they would not have been as powerful. So would it have been as effective? Also, I think if Leia had decided to become a Jedi, changing 
the government from the rebellion into the new republic would have gone differently and it probably would have been worse off for the new republic government although i I guess there would be nothing prohibiting leia from helping to set up the new republic government today's second email comes from ethan who says do you think the sequel movies were good in my opinion i do not think they were very good and is kylo ren truly a sith well thanks for the email ethan Let me answer your second question first. No, Kylo Ren is not a Sith. According to the official Star Wars website, StarWars.com, Kylo Ren is, quote, a dark side warrior with a mysterious past who was neither Jedi nor Sith, but a product of both sides' teachings. Once an apprentice to Luke Skywalker, Kylo Ren killed his fellow students, drove Skywalker to exile, became a First Order warlord and servant to Supreme Leader Snoke, unquote. In short, Ethan, I would say Kylo Ren is not a Sith, but a fallen Jedi. At least that was the term used in Legends. I don't know if that term is used in canon yet. As to your first question, if you don't like the sequel trilogy, Ethan, that's perfectly fine. I have my issues with them, too. But I do think there are some really good things in all three movies, like how Rey and Kylo are linked in the Force, Luke's teachings on Octo, and Finn's courage and loyalty to his friends. And that's what I focus on when I watch those movies. That's what I try to do when I watch anything in Star Wars, be it a movie or a television show. What about you, K2? Do you have an opinion on Ethan's question? Um, sure. I mean, I defer to you on what you looked up regarding uh, Kylo Ren, and I never did get Sith vibes from him. I think Fallen Jedi is a great description. Um, it never crossed my mind that he would be a Sith. Um, and as far as how the movie's good, yeah, I think, I think that entertainment is designed to be consumed by the audience, and if you think it's good, it's good. If you think it's bad, it's bad. Um... So, you know, did I personally enjoy them? I enjoyed them in the theater. I enjoyed going, sitting there, opening night, had a great time, watching it for the first time. Um, I, but I, they didn't age very well for me. Uh, my favorite of the three was The Force Awakens. I know it was just a remake and it was nothing but fan service. But I loved it. I thought it was really fun. And I really, to your point, Aaron, I really liked the characters that they brought and how they developed the characters. I do think that was a win. And I think those characters should live on and they should do more with them um, because I do think they're very interesting and I thought they were really well developed where they obviously dropped the ball that was the lack of cohesiveness in their storytelling which is pretty important when you're telling um, a a trilogy of any kind but particularly one of this scale Um, so that's kind of where they they missed the mark for I think a lot of us but I, I agree with you Aaron that they did a lot of things pretty well as well. Today's third question comes from Jason, who says, I love the show. I stumbled across it and have binged all the episodes while at work. I'm a Star Wars fan, but have never read any Legends or canon novels. Thanks to you, I have now bought the Darth Bane trilogy, Heir to the Empire trilogy, Darth Plagueis, and Death Troopers. I started the first Darth Bane book and love it so far. I just watched the Ahsoka trailer and I'm excited for the show. What are your thoughts? Keep up the awesome work. 
So the first thing I should say, I received Jason's email a few weeks ago, shortly after Star Wars Celebration. That was before the unfortunate news about the death of actor Ray Stevenson, who plays Balin Skull, the character in the Ahsoka teaser with the reddish-orange lightsaber that we see dueling with Ahsoka Tano for a few moments. Stevenson seemed really excited at Star Wars Celebration for people to see Ahsoka. I watched two of his interviews coming out of Celebration. It was very sad to hear of his passing back on May 21st. As for Jason's question, yes, Jason, I am very excited for Ahsoka. I'm a little nervous. Some of the stuff in the last three or four episodes of Rebels don't really work for me, but for the most part, I really enjoy Dave Filoni's storytelling. And from what we see in the Ahsoka teaser, I'm pretty hyped. How about you, K2? I love Ahsoka Tano. And I think this is the first time I will ever say, the only time I'll ever say wrong, Aaron. There's nothing wrong with Ahsoka or anything that has to do with her. Um, just kidding. I'm retracting completely on everyone's opinion of what they think entertainment should be. I think... Um, oh, I love Ahsoka. She's she's one of my favorite characters. Just There's a couple things in the last couple episodes of Rebels that are a little too weird for me, and uh, that's all. Yeah, fair enough. I like weird, so I, I, I enjoy it, but um, I really am very looking forward to Ahsoka, and I do think that they can do a lot of things with her. She had a really interesting and long arc, so there's a lot of ways they could go with her. They could mess it up, which would be disappointing for so many of us who just came to find her to be so endearing. Um, uh, particularly, I think, those people who watched it over the course of the time of, of its release versus someone like me who binged it all um, in, like, two months or something. But um, I think it's going to be great, and I think you're going to really enjoy Heir to the Empire. Um, so good, good, good choices on the books that you, you chose. Thank you very much for the email, Jason. Uh, it's great to hear you're enjoying your Legends journey. If you would like any recommendations about Legends or Canon books, shoot me an email. I'll help you out. Now, listener, if you have a question or comment for the show, like Jacob, Ethan, and Jason, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, feel free to record an audio question and email it in. Just please record it in mp 3 or mp4 audio format. Now it's time for today's book, Agents of Chaos 2, Jedi Eclipse, by James Luceno. Grab yourself a drink, and let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins as the Yuuzhan Vong lay siege to the planet Jindine. Swarms of coral skippers attack the planetary defense force while the Vong round up captives on the surface. Leia Organa scrambles to help people onto the New Republic refugee ships. Leia is forced to make terrible choices, turning away hundreds of desperate refugees when the ships reach capacity. In the confusion, Leia sees one of the newer Jedi, Worth Skitter, running away from the refugee ships and out into the streets. 
Skidder sees a line of captives being herded into a Yuzhan Vong dropship. When Skidder sees some of the guards turn their attention away from the captives, the Jedi jumps into the middle of the line. When one of the captives asks what he's doing, Skidder says not to worry. Help has arrived. Well, now Hutta, Naminor, and Commander Malak Kar meet with Borga the Hutt. The Vong agree to leave the Huts alone if Borga gives them a few worlds the Vong can use to grow more biological war materiel. Malak Kar is wary of Naminor's plan to form an alliance with the Huts, but the executor assures the commander the Vong can take advantage of the Huts by feeding disinformation to the New Republic. And sure enough, when Borga asks which planetary systems the Vong are targeting so the Huts can avoid them, Naminor baits his trap. He tells Borga the Vong are planning to continue their march to the core through Corellia and Bothawi. Meanwhile, Han continues to try and help Droma find his family. They track his clanmates to Jindine, but they arrive after the Vong attack. They learn that the refugee ships were sent to Ruan, but little do they know, the Rin have been separated, with most of them captured by the Vong and sent to a Yamas nursery ship along with Wurtskitter. There they meet several people captured weeks earlier at Ord Mantel, including Han's friend Roa. Roa tells the new captives it's their job to help bring the Yamask to maturity by comforting and bonding with it. The news gives Skidder an idea to try using his Jedi abilities to sabotage the Yamask and free the captives. On Coruscant, the New Republic military learns from the Huts that the Yuzhan Vong plan to attack Corellia and Bothawi. They plan to try and herd the Vong to Corellia and use Centerpoint Station to destroy the majority of the enemy fleet. The problem? Centerpoint isn't fully operational, and the New Republic can't figure out why. Their best guess is that the station imprinted on Anakin Solo during the Corellian Crisis seven years ago. Anakin agrees to arm the station, but Jason tells his younger brother he can't fire the superweapon. It's not the Jedi way. Anakin argues that the New Republic is going to use Centerpoint whether he arms the station or not. It would be better if he were the one to direct it. Jason objects, but agrees to accompany Anakin to Centerpoint. At the request of the New Republic Advisory Council, Leia travels to the Hapes Cluster to request military aid from Queen Mother Tenniel Joe and Prince Isolder. The representatives of one of the Hapen worlds insults Leia, calling her a warmonger. Isolder steps in to defend Leia and fights a duel for her honor. The prince wins the duel and secures enough votes to commit the Hapen fleet to the fight against the Vong. Leia takes Isolder's hand when suddenly she sees a vision of light and falls to the floor. Dozens of starships lay in ruins. Death and destruction are everywhere. Prince Isolder helps Leia to her feet and asks what happened. A vision of something terrible, she says, and begs Isolder to keep Hapes out of this fight. On the Yamask nursery ship, Worth Skidder decides the time to act is now. Skidder's plan is simple. He'll try to open himself to the Force and influence the Yamask's developing brain. Skidder tells Roa and the Wren to do what they normally do, massage the Yamask tentacles and lull it into a state of relaxation. Skidder waits until the Yuzhan Vong guards leave the nursery, then opens himself to the Force. Immediately, the Yamask roars and starts thrashing its tentacles around the hold, 
sending several captives flying. It orders the Vong ship to jump to hyperspace and grabs Skitter. The guards rush into the nursery, confused. What has happened? The Vong commander enters and sees Skitter, wrapped in the monster's tentacles. The commander melds with the Yamask, then turns, an evil smile on his face. Jedi. Han and Droma arrive on Ruan to search for Droma's clanmates and find a warrant has been issued for the Rin for forging travel documents. Droma's family has already left the planet bound for Obergato Ray with no other Rin to arrest. The Ruan authorities take Droma into custody. Han breaks Droma out with the help of a bunch of droids who are rebelling against the Ruan government because they plan to offer the droids to the Yuzhan Vong as a sacrifice. As Han and Droma set a course for Abrogado Ray, one of the droids stops them. Droma's clanmates have been tricked. The captain of the ship, the Rin boarded, isn't going to Abrogado Ray. It's really headed to the planet Fondor. Anakin and Jason arrive at center point to find the New Republic military has the station almost entirely up and running, but they can't figure out how to arm the station's weapons. Their father's cousin, Thracken Sal Solo is also there. The New Republic released the former Corellian revolutionary leader from prison to help them turn on Centerpoint's repulsor weapon. But the station will only react to Anakin. And when he holds his hands over the station's main panel, a control stick appears. Anakin grabs the stick, and the power levels in the station start to rise. Yes! shouts one of the military technicians. Now we can use the interdiction field to trap the Vong in the system, and we can destroy them. But Jason implores his younger brother, Anakin, please, you can't do this. Anakin closes his eyes and opens himself to the Force. He sees the Vong fleet and knows he can wipe them out. But Anakin's conflicted. Would firing the repulsor be defending the galaxy? or would he be dangerously close to touching the dark side? Finally, Anakin opens his eyes and turns to his older brother. Jason, tell me what to do. Han and Droma arrive at Fondor and fly right into the Yuzhan Vong fleet. The invaders completely fooled the New Republic military, using the huts to trick the New Republic into sending its forces to Bothawi and Corellia. But the Haven fleet is in position to jump to Fondor. The Haven arrive and deploy their ships, defending the planet. While the battle rages, Han and Droma lo- locate the refugees from Ruan, including some of Droma's clanmates, abandoned on one of the orbital shipyards. They rescue the refugees just as the Yamask nursery ship arrives in the system, followed by a group of mismatched starfighters. It's Kip Duran. Kip and his squadron blast a hole in the nursery ship and fly in to rescue Worth Skitter and the captives. They manage to free the prisoners, but they're too late to save their fellow Jedi. The Yamask broke Skitter mentally, torturing him with its psychic powers. Kip takes his lightsaber and kills the Yamask. He and his squadron fly out of the nursery ship, just as an immense beam of light blazes through the system and everything goes white. This is wrong. Don't do this, Jason says. Okay, Anakin says and releases the control stick for the center point repulsor weapon. Suddenly, Thracken grabs the stick and fires, sending a beam of light hundreds of kilometers wide toward the Fondor system. At Fondor, 
the repulsor beam tears through the Yuzhong fleet and the Hapens, cleaving through the smaller of Fondor's moons and continuing on through space. The resulting casualties are devastating. Half of the Yuzhan Vong battle group is destroyed, while nearly three-quarters of the Hapen fleet is gone. After the remaining Vong ships retreat, Leia turns to Prince Isolder, distraught. I'm so sorry, she says. Thank you, Leia, he replies, but we accepted the responsibility when we pledged to help you. The prince orders the remaining ships back to Hapes to regroup and repair. In the aftermath of the battle, Han tells Leia he's taking Droma, his clanmates, and the rest of the refugees to Duro. When Leia asks when Han is coming home, he tells her he doesn't know yet, but he's not ready to return. The story ends back on Coruscant. Senator Vicky Shesh is in her office when she receives a visitor, a man named Pedrick Cuff. When Vicky asks Pedrick what business he has with her, the man says his superiors think the senator will be a great ally going forward. In fact, Pedrick says, he can offer Vicky wealth and power if she's willing to help his masters and put business before politics. Time for a break. When we return, K2 and I will talk more about Agents of Chaos 2, Jedi Eclipse. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath, Life Debt, continues the story of Nora Wexley's group chasing Imperial Admiral Ray Sloan, while Han Solo vows to liberate Chewbacca's home world. Han enlists Nora, her son Snap, Jom, Jap, and Sinjir for help. Can our heroes fight off the Empire and free Kashyyyk? Find out in Aftermath, Life Debt, by Chuck Wendig, the second book in the Aftermath trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today, K2 and I are talking about Agents of Chaos 2, Jedi Eclipse, by James Luceno the fifth book in the New Jedi Order series. So, before we get into specifics about this book, how are you enjoying the New Jedi Order series so far? Do you enjoy the story? And what do you like? Is there anything that isn't working for you so far in this story? So far, I really am enjoying this series. I definitely would recommend it based on what I've read to date. Um, And I really am enjoying the coverage from everyone as well. Um, I really like Agents of Chaos, this one and two um, that Kat and I did last week and then this book today. Honestly, I think this book is my favorite so far and it could be because I've, I've, you know, been paying so much more attention to this book and and I've read it twice and, you know, um, so it could be that. But I like how much goes on in it. I like how much, how the story is developing. I know who the Yuzhong Vong are now by the fifth book. I'm getting it. And so it's a little easier for me to consume the story that they're feeding me. 
So that could be why I like it too um, best so far. I do think that this, in this book particularly, it can move at quite a fast pace. And in a way, sometimes you can have segments or chapters that almost, or just segments of chapters that almost read like they're bullet points. Like, and then this happens, and then that happens, and then he goes here, and then Luke says that. And I don't particularly mind that. I think as a reader, you can read something for the beauty of the writing, and you can read something for the story, and they don't have to be, you know, the same or even both there to enjoy it. I think this is a little bit more, in my opinion, about reading for the story and where it goes. So, and that's cool with me because I love this world and the faster you get me to the points, I'm okay with that. Um, so honestly, I think it could be, a, it's a little messy maybe, but it doesn't detract from my enjoyment of the story so far at all. As someone who is newer to Legends, you said the only experience you had so far was the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Now you're jumping into this big series. There's all these different characters and legends than what there is in canon. Was that at all confusing to you when you first started out? At the beginning, yes. I do think if somebody wants to dive in and they read the first book, it can be it can feel daunting, but I would just say stick with it because it really does start to make a lot more sense. Um because it is overwhelming, and it is a lot of, there's planets you've never heard of, but then they they pull in the stuff you do know, and they talk about Coruscant, and, you know, a senator, and all that brings you right into it, and you just need that little kind of tether to keep you in the world, and of course, you're talking about Luke and Han, and Leia, and a character named Anakin, and a character named Jason, and it's, so it, it doesn't, I think that keeps you in it, you know, I think Chewie's death at the beginning is also a really interesting way to get you to read um 19 books or whatever this is <laughs> because it's a gut punch it, it's it's one of the biggest gut punches in all of legends i i was like no this isn't real but what's also i would say what, what's interesting about that and it kind of comes up you know in the so far in the analysis of, of all of these books but grief is a powerful st storytelling tool and so whoever made the decision to start this series with grief of that kind so that the reader is grieving, the characters are grieving, that it's actually a really great way to get us hooked to see what happens and to be invested in Han's journey. Because I think when you and Kat were talking last week about Han's arc and, you know, he's got these kind of stereotypical things about him, but this gives him so much more depth and so much more sympathy and empathy from a reader. We love Han, but have we ever really sympathized with Han? And, and now we do. And we sympathize with Anakin and Leia and all of these. So it's just, I think they've done a really wonderful job starting with something like that. So I definitely so far would absolutely recommend the series. Yeah, for those of us that grew up with the original trilogy, you had the big three of Luke, Leia, and Han. But in my opinion, Han always seemed like the third of the three. Not that he wasn't as important, but it was Luke and Leia's story. They were the ones driving what was happening. And Han was kind of along for the ride. Han gets the focus in some Legends stories, but most of those are 
the swashbuckling adventure stories. And, you know, that's what one of the things people like about Han is Han is an adventurer. He's a rogue. Everyone likes a rogue. When you talk about the grief he is feeling at the beginning of this series, this is one of the first times that I can remember in Star Wars storytelling where Han drives part of the narrative based on his emotions. You know, he's someone that people can empathize with because the vast majority of people have lived through the death of a loved one. And when it's the first time it's ever happened to you, like it clearly is with Han in this story, it's difficult to process. You don't really know what you're going to do until that happens. And I think the beginning of this series is a really interesting look at Han's character. It makes him more relatable in a lot of ways because he's he, the swashbuckler. He's the comic relief, right? But a lot of people aren't that. A lot of people who read these stories and consume these movies aren't the cool kid who are the swashbuckler. They, maybe they look up to him. Maybe they just don't relate to him at all. But now they, they can connect. And it, it takes him... It's a really great arc for him because he isn't making us laugh. Um, and yet we're still um, incredibly... We're even more so in many ways connected to him and, and rooting for him. And um, so I, I think that I so that, that, that's the thing I think about the series. When, when they started with Chewie's death, I was like, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> you can't kill Chewie. <laughs> and then it went and I was like, well, you know, grief is, like I said, it's a powerful storytelling tool. Um, and the, if, if one of them was going to go, it's going to be Chewie. So it's that, that, that's their choice. But... Anyway, so, yeah, so far, really, really entertained. So, we've seen two Jedi now who were mentally broken by a Yamask. There was Miko Regalia back in Vector Prime, the first story in the New Jedi Order. And now there's Worth Skitter here in Jedi Eclipse. What do you think that portends for the Jedi going forward? I mean, it's such a fascinating question. You know, the Yuuzhan Vong are clearly formidable adversaries. They don't understand them. I don't think the Jedi are afraid of them enough, um, clearly. Um, and, you know, they're not going to be really until this, this second. You know, Worth, Worth's, Worth's death was actually really bothered me. Um, I really liked him. <laughs> and I was really hoping he was going to hang out. I mean, I didn't hold out a ton of hope, but I liked him. I liked his... I liked I liked what he was bringing to the story, and I mean they did that on purpose too. You know, me missing a character in, that I just met, but um, I think this is super interesting because they're now faced, and I don't know what happens, so I'm speculating. But they now have to really try to figure out how to defend themselves um, in a way that they they don't know why or how they're vulnerable. They don't know what they're defending themselves against. They don't know why the Vong are so powerful and can, can, can beat them. So I guess my question would be, you know, and you know the answer, so I'm not really asking this question of you, but like, um, you know, the reader understands more of the threat than so far the characters do, right? So we are going, is Kip going to go back and did he learn anything from that interaction? And being, you know, he, 
he killed the Yamask, is he going to be able to bring something back to Luke or, or others in, in an attempt to um, f start to defend themselves or come up with some sort of plan? But otherwise, I really have no idea because I still don't know who the Vong are and why they are the way they are. So I think we have a lot to learn still. I do, at least. Well, I think the two main questions that the series asks the reader. One, what do the Jedi do when they are faced with a foe that interacts with the Force or doesn't interact with the Force in a way the Jedi do not understand? And then the second question, and probably the more important question of the series, what are the Jedi now? Luke has finally reestablished a new Jedi order. What are they going to be? And for the most part, that is personified by the continual disagreements between Jason and Anakin and Kip Duran, mostly those three. What are we going to be? In the original trilogy, for the most part, Luke was a weapon to use against the Empire. But is that what the Jedi, is that what they're supposed to be? By the end of the series, I think it's up to the reader how they interpret the Jedi going forward. Well, and, and you know, I think some of the, the better storytelling that happens in Star Wars that is not as obvious to everyone is... You know, and they challenge us a lot in the, the Clone Wars era, but, you know, the Jedi, even the good guys, right? And so you have a lot of people who make that argument, you know, the whole Thanos is right people. But um, it's, it's, it's a really interesting um, kind of question. I mean, you look at Anakin and Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars, they were soldiers. They weren't supposed to be soldiers. And, and, and they said they weren't, but yet they were. So they are kind of always been at odds with what they say they are and their actions. Um, so I'm looking forward to finding out because I don't really have a good hypothesis, but I'm really excited to kind of see where they take us um, with this. And I think Kip is a really, I think Kip, Anakin, and Jason are all really good in ways that they're telling the story. I think Luke is still fairly kind of benign in it. You know, he's just being Luke. Luke has had some moments of self-reflection in these first five books as to what he wants the Jedi to be. Right. But they are all, listening to them argue gets old a little bit, but it's it's just, the, it's the, again, it's the storytelling tool, right? It's how they get us there. So I don't know, I'm really, it's, I, I'm really interested. And I, and I love how these books so far too, they're not just Jedi heavy, right? You've got a Jedi thread and storyline, but you've got all this other stuff that's going on and all these other tracks and all these other characters and they're developing them well. And that really, to me, makes it, keeps it more interesting as well. It's not just some sort of Skywalker only um, saga. Um, so anyway, I'm enjoying that piece of it as well. So we mentioned Jason and Anakin. Centerpoint Station is their latest point of contention. Their philosophies on how the Jedi should act when facing the Vong. Anakin 
says in the book that he could have used Centerpoint to destroy the fleet at Fondor without wiping out the Hapen fleet. But he allowed Jason to make the decision for him not to fire. Why do you think Anakin did that? Why did Anakin see the decision? I think I think it goes back to Chewie. I think he's lost confidence in his decision-making. And he's realizing he's about to kill a bunch of people. Maybe he doesn't know who the people are or doesn't think they're good guys, but that's a weighty decision. But he just didn't have the confidence to make it. And he didn't. And I, if his brother had said do it, he would have done it. And his brother said don't, and he didn't. And I think I, that's, that's what I think. It doesn't say that anywhere, but like I said, grief is a really powerful storytelling tool. And they're really focusing the grief, I think, and the guilt on Han and Anakin in the story so far. Throughout everything, Jason always talks about how the Jedi should only use violence in absolute defense. I think the author does a really good job in this book of questioning, in this moment, can offense be defense? Because, let's face it, if Anakin fires that, that's an offensive weapon. He is going to wipe out part of the fleet. But is he doing that in defense of the planet Fondor? And I think it's one of those questions that, I mean, let's face it, in the real world, millions of people go through these same mental gymnastics every single day. Every single day. And, you know, he would have saved the Hapen fleet um, had he fired. And he knew that. He, he was confident. That's what I think is super interesting about the way they wrote this. He believed he would not damage the Hapen fleet. What he didn't know was the other guy, is it his cousin or his uncle? It's his father's first cousin, Thrakensel Solo. So his second cousin. So his cousin rolls in and shoots. That they didn't know. So they didn't know the consequence that consequence. They knew the consequence of firing or not firing. They didn't know the consequence of some Yahoo firing. And they couldn't make the decision between the three choices, right? They made the decision between the two. But what I think is, and what I think is super interesting about this is that the weapon itself is, they should not have this (laughs) weapon at all. And they're just telling, you're showing you like real life what happens with nuclear weapons or you know um other kinds of weapons of mass destruction and what can happen when they fall into the wrong hands and how do you get to choose who does it and pulls the trigger and i think this is a really fascinating like much bigger kind of um, idea that that they've they've tripped upon here with this part of the story now that i'm 45 going back through and reading it as a middle-aged man Some of the questions that I come up with now are not the questions I came up with as a 21, 22, 23-year-old the first time I read this story. And I, I really enjoy going back through 
Some things I like more than what I did then. Some things I read now and I'm like, man, why did I like this part? I, I don't think like that at all anymore. Now I think like this. And it really is, in my opinion, one of the things of rereading a book at a different time in your life and how you can interpret things differently just based upon your own life choices, your own experience, your own age. Back when I, these books first came out, I was just, man, I just want to consume all of Star Wars. And I just want, I'm there for the adventure. I want to see Luke wielding a lightsaber, hacking people apart. And as I've gotten older, I realize that's not what a Jedi is at all, in my opinion. You know, now it's these deep philosophical conflicts that are reflected in real life. That's why I think rereading these books have really been fascinating to me so far. Well, in reading them, you know, I'm Gen X too, and reading them for the first time and seeing, seeing, because I know what was going on when they were written, you know, politically or in the world. And, you know, there's, and there's always obviously been a hyper-political thread in the stories, you know, since New Hope. But, um no, it's really good. It's and it's it's it. I think to your kind of point too, how you're reflecting is it's for all ages, right? Because you're going to get something out of it as a ten year old, as a twenty year old, as a forty year old, thirty year old, fifty year old, and it doesn't matter how old you are. You're going to read this with your through your lens to your point, and you're going to it's it's enjoyable. Like it's really it that whole that whole decision is I think that's going to have legs in the future as far as their Anakin's guilt, right? This is two things now he's going to have some serious guilt over. And what is that going to do to him in his journey? Um, And I'm interested to find out. Toward the end of the book, two things. First, Han tells Leia he's still not ready to return home. In the previous book, he says he needs to find out what happened to Roa and to help Droma reunite with his family. Well, he did that in this story. But when she asks if he's going to come back home, he is clearly holding some sort of resentment for Leia and how she continues to help the New Republic. Where do you think their relationship goes from here? I mean... I'm so annoyed with both of them. And that, that section of the book, I was like, after, again, having now being older and having had many relationships and very long-term relationships and being married almost 20 years, you're like, how do you not just go find a long weekend on some beach planet somewhere and, and have a little chat, right? But instead, they, they their relationship really is quite immature. It really is. They are, they, they don't, prioritize gratitude to towards each other. They don't prioritize each other at all. They don't seem to even, they fell in love with who they're both acting as and they don't even seem to appreciate that anymore. So I know this is a really harsh way to look at them, but um, it's just, they're too old to behave this way. They're acting like 23 year olds who are jealous of the fact that they're not getting attention from their their lover or spouse instead of being like, 
appreciative of what's happening or saying, I got you, you're going through so much. You know, I, I just, I find it to be, I find that relationship to be immature. Where does it go from here? I mean, nowhere good, probably. I, this, it's not a healthy relationship, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> and then again, on the other side, which is the boring side, for narrative purposes, they probably have to keep them apart um, for a portion of the book. So that could just be a plot device. But anyway, what do you think, Aaron? Well, it, what you say is very interesting because both of them have this profound sense of duty. Leia, her sense of duty is to the galaxy. Han's sense of duty is to his friends and the people he feels obligated to. So in that sense, they're selfless. But within their own relationship, they're pretty selfish. They are. And you say self selfless, but by Leia helping the galaxy and by Han being loyal, it fuels them. It fills them. It gives them their identity. There's still a selfishness to the selflessness, the choice, because it's how they feel good about themselves. And they do it because they're not getting it from the other person. The person they love the most isn't giving them that. So now they're getting it elsewhere. That's essentially what's happening and harder for Han. Well, both. In fairness, you know, Leia lost Han too, or Leia lost Chewie too, right? So they're both grieving him. It's different for Han, but they both grieve him. I mean, she's been with Chewie now for 20 plus years, something. I mean, come on. Like, Han doesn't have an extra special claim on that. Like, if you're friends with somebody for 20 years, you're devastated with their loss. So anyway, I just think they could be fueling each other differently. They could be serving the galaxy and his friends together. Um, and they're just choosing not to. So, I don't know. So, it's, again, it's a harsh critique, but it's immature. I have one last question. The story ends in Vicky Shesh's senatorial office. Say that five times fast, by the way. She's speaking with Pedrick Cuff. What do you think's up with these two? Where do you think this is going? Come on. It's so obvious that they're like the, they're like the bad guy. I mean, she's a Senate, she's a politician, and he goes to her and he's like, hey, how about I buy you, politician? Like, all politicians are for sale. I think, and there are like three senators worth anything in the story. Like Padme, Bale, and Jar Jar. <laughs> the only ones that aren't like massively corrupt. And, you know, maybe there's a couple others um, that you see and meet over the, in the Clone Wars, but they're all suspect. And most of them are garbage. So to us, the only assumption we could really make is that she's up to no good or she's going to be easily bought. Um, and then she will be, we don't know, a spy um, you know, feeding information. I don't really know what that looks like or making laws, passing, you know, laws, whatever, uh, they do sitting on a committee, you know, defense fund committees and <laughs> things like that. Where does the money go? Um, but the one thing I really thought was hilarious. Um, oh, oh, actually another point I wanted to make on this. So one of the things that jarred me that we didn't have in this discussion and any of the questions were, it was chapter seven when they get to Ruan and it's Gath and Melisma are talking about 
the refugees and the refugee camp. And essentially, you're reading it and you're like, they're making them slaves, right? They're indentured servants. And then they actually use the term indentured servants, which threw me in because I was like, these guys are indentured servants. And then they get there and I'm like, this is crazy. And the New Republic is aware of this, right? And, but they, whatever, um, I thought it was really clever because they said, um, they discuss how the wealthy refugees of Noob Hill can buy passage off, right? So like totally calling off like Nob Hill and London, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. It's like swanky neighborhood. So they're, they're basically, but he's, 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 he wants you to see the connection to real life by even using something as obvious as Noob Hill as the location of these, of these wealthy people who are quote unquote refugees, but they just fly away. The rest of them, the poor ones, guess what? You're slaves. And the New Republic is doing this. And this is something that we're aware of it. And this is something that a senator like her is probably all for because it's, it is business and there's money exchanging hands. There's money somewhere that's making that deal happen. Um, because somewhere in the book, and I lost this a little bit and I didn't write this down, but they're, Ruan was asking for the slaves, right? Or, excuse me, asking for the refugees. And there was, there was some people questioning that for a while. Like, why do they want them? And it, oh, it turns out they're free labor. And they're selling it. So, like, it's so corrupt. And she's just going to be, we're going to hate this woman. You, you mentioned some of the real-world allegories that Luceno puts in here. Some of them are pretty heavy-handed. Like... Like you just read them and you're like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about here. You were talking about Noob Hill and Knob Hill. The Wren are just described as like Eastern European gypsies with the way everyone runs them out of town and blames them for everything and blames them for stealing money all the time. Um, the indentured servitude is someone, you know, I live here in West Virginia. They talk about on ruin how they're being paid with script that they can only then use in the shops there in ruin. That's like a company town back in the old coal fields of the early 1900s here in West Virginia. Completely illegal, but they did them and everyone just let them do it. So there's a ton of really interesting real world historical, I won't even say nods in this thing like Lucena is just like putting a, a neon sign above all of these and saying hey look at this look at this it's not subtle at all I mean center point station is horrific it is absolutely horrific and they describe this weapon as something that can move planets and destroy all kinds of stuff worse than worse than a death star and here they are making it and here they are going, well, let's, let's reactivate it. They're going to, and the bad guys are going to come for it. There's this, like, what are you doing? And yet we do that in real life. We do it in real life. Weapons of mass destruction, the nuclear, I mean, look at the, I mean, it's, so there's, there aren't a lot of subtleties um, to your point. And, but I think it makes it interesting because you are talking about, all of these to where you started earlier, where like all these different names and all these different things and all these characters we don't know and these places we don't know, but we recognize the story because it's it's in everything. We recognize the story from the news. Um, 
so I think you can you can really get into it. And I don't think you have to be a politically biased one way or the other. Anyway, so far so good. I think it's really, really interesting. And I really, sorry, Kat, but I'm really glad I ended up with this book because I, I had a lot of fun <laughs> reading it a few times. And um, um, so I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, then I guess it's time to go. Listener, if you have a question or comment for the show or... If you have a Star Wars character grouping you'd like me to read, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com, or you can send a tweet at legendslounge1, or you can record a short audio file and email it in. Just remember to record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. Thanks for joining me today, K2. I hope you enjoyed yourself. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much. I'll see you, I don't know, July or August or something like that. And if listeners would like to contact you for any reason, how can they do that? Um, you really can only find me on Twitter, at K2Cav, K-A-V. Um, all of the new Jedi Order co-hosts or whatever we are called, the crew, we're all in there talking about absolute nonsense often. So come join us um, and let us know how you, how you found us. Well, coming up on the next episode, I'll be joined by my buddy Scott Thompson, another first-time reader of the New Jedi Order series. We'll talk about Balance Point by Kathy Tires, and you can look forward to that episode coming out on June 23rd. Thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.